Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and tiny snapdragon, Noella Croy. <laughs> and I'm story expert and minion sent to do God's work, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we are here today to talk about Blood Ties, the 13th episode of season five. Blood Ties aired on February 6th, 2001, and was written by Stephen S. DeKnight and directed by Michael Gershman. As you all know, this is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast, and we might talk about anything in Buffy at any time for any reason. So you have been warned. Sometimes we like to pretend stuff, like say there's a fireman or a shepherd. You know what? Let's just go on patrol. In Blood Ties, Buffy and the gang hang in the magic box and try to figure out what to do about Glory. When the Scoobies ask about the key, Buffy and Giles decide to tell them that Dawn is the key. Meanwhile, back at the Knights of the Round Table Ranch, Jinx, Dreg, and an unnamed minion taunt the Knights and get their collective asses kicked. Then Gloria steps in and beats the hell out of the Knights. A nice sword, but it hurts. Willow and Tara set up magical alarms around the magic box and the Summer's house to notify them if Glory gets near. At Buffy's house, everyone gathers for Buffy's birthday, and Dawn senses everyone's weirdness and gets upset. Later, she crawls out of her window and bumps into Night Stalker Spike, who goes with her to the magic box to find Giles' journal and figure out what the hell is going on. Spike reads the journal entry and... Oops. So they sent the key to her in human form. In the form of a sister. Huh. I guess that's you, Nibbler. Dawn returns home and cuts herself in shock, wondering if it's blood, if she's real. Buffy sends everyone home from the party and talks to Dawn. She enjoys trying to console Dawn, but Dawn shouts at them to get out of her room. At the magic box the next day, Buffy wants to find out everything she can about the key. Not to fight Glory, but to help Dawn understand. They discover that Spike helped Dawn break into the magic box, and Buffy goes to his crypt to beat the hell out of him. Maybe if you had been more honest with her in the first place, you wouldn't be trying to make yourself feel better with a round of kick to Spike. The next night, Dawn lights her diaries on fire and crawls out the window. Buffy gathers the Scoobies plus Spike to go look for Dawn. Dawn goes to the hospital, where she goes into the room filled with Glory's victims. They all react to her presence with fear, except one, a brain-sucked Knight of Byzantium. You know what the key is? Where did I come from? Who made me? What What am I? He's Destroyer. Cracked earth and bones. The sun bleeding into the sky. Dawn goes to the hospital break room and meets Ben there. They talk, and Dawn tells him that she's a key and someone named Gloria is after her. Ben freaks out and tells her to run, and then... He turns into glory. Oh no, she's here! She's here! Hey, don't I know you? Glory doesn't know what Ben just heard, but she knows Dawn is the Slayer's little sister, so she interrogates her. Dawn tries to use this as an opportunity to find out what the key is. Glory gets frustrated and is about to brain suck Dawn when everyone shows up. Buffy and Spike fight Glory, and Glory manages to spear Buffy in the shoulder with a crowbar before Willow and Tara do a teleportation spell and clap Glory into the sky, where she then falls to the ground. Oh, shh. Buffy tells Dawn that she's her sister, and she loves her. She touches the blood from her shoulder and presses it against Dawn's injury and says they share that same blood 
and this is both touching and yet gross and I think unhygienic, but we get it. It's sweet. Then Dawn kind of remembers something. I think he might have left before Glory came. I can't, I can't remember. All right, Noelle, so here we are at Blood Ties. This, of course, is the moment from which we will never be without somebody on Twitter saying, hey, do you guys know that Ben is Glory? Um, So we're going to have that experience for a while. (laughs) Just want to welcome you to that. Um, All right, so one thing before we get started here today, uh, we've talked at length before about ableism and Buffy, especially with regard to people with mental illness. We will have that discussion again as it is warranted, but as we're repeating offenses that we've discussed at length before here, I refer you all to episode. Episode 110, No Place Like Home for the full call-in. Um, all right, Noelle, what did you think about Blood Ties? Uh, finally! Right? <laughs> Everyone finds out Dawn's the key. Dawn finds out Dawn's the key. And holy shit, Ben is ben glory! Is glory. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, suddenly we've got a lot of story to work with. And I think this episode is really tight in that regard. Yeah, but also is, just yeah. like... It's good. It's good. This is a good episode of TV. It is a good episode. It's kind of a turning point. Like, this is the midpoint of the season, you know, episode 13. This is when we start to ramp things up because we only have nine episodes left in the season so we can start to get serious. Um, I love that this is the moment where Dawn finds out everything because I get really sick of secrets. Um, you know, the this episode, though, when I think about it, the one that I remember, the moment that I remember is that moment where Buffy touches her blood and then touches it to Dawn's blood, which feels really gross to me. But at the same time, like, I get it. <laughs> I get it. And blood is hugely significant. I mean, Spike talks about it all the time, like how significant and meaningful blood is. It's always about blood, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so when they do that, like, I get it. It just always feels a little like, you know, could we just maybe talk about it instead of smearing your blood together? Because that feels like wrong, but whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, except that, like, big metaphor yes. that we have to do, you know, yes. because this is the world that we're in. Like, yes. we're in the world of the big metaphor because we are in a fantasy genre yes. mm-hmm. television series. But it raises the question for me of vis-a-vis this episode and Dawn's whole trajectory, really, what what is the metaphor? Um, well, I mean, it's, yeah. It's a little muddled, right? Or is it just to me? I don't know. I had a I lot. Think... I felt like. <laughs> I, I'm I... not sure because we've, we've had that discussion. Like Spike talks a lot about it's always blood. Right. You know, he's it's always blood. It always comes down to blood. Blood is life, you know, mm-hmm. um, and blood, I mean, is life. Right. That's what the vampires are stealing from humans, you know, is, is their mm-hmm. blood, is their life force. And so I think having that connection through their blood that Dawn was created and, and given form, but she was given form using, you know, Buffy's blood i guess her genetics her whatever i guess yeah well yeah i mean and that's my that's kind of my central question about this metaphor that they're doing with dawn and buffy and being family yeah because dawn finds out she's the key and not question mark real question mark right but Um, define real i mean that's a whole thing right Mm -hmm. and at least i mean and that is how that's how she interprets it yes um, she, Dawn takes this news to mean that she's possibly not real. Right. And that is 
you know, well, yeah. earth shattering for oh, her. Um, yeah. Of course, because of course it would be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like in terms of Dawn and like what she is mm-hmm. and, and whether or not she's real. I really like Willow's assessment. Yeah. She's real. She's just kind of new. I know. Which is very sweet. It is. Um, but we've played this mystical is the metaphorical game the whole mm-hmm. time on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the metaphors are clearer yes. than at other times, mm-hmm. right? High school is hell. Sure. is kind of the most obvious of those. Right. I'm not totally clear on what the metaphor is here with Dawn mm-hmm. and her family. Right. From the language that they're using... I get the feeling that this is supposed to be an adoption story. Mm-hmm. The idea of being blood family or not, but also the, you know, we wait, we were going to tell you when you were older. Right. This idea that there's like this secret about the origin of someone in your family. Mm-hmm. But to me, and maybe it's because of the the mystical metaphorical trappings of all this. Right. It feels a little bit like a fairy tale changeling type of story, mm-hmm. you know, where the baby you get the baby, but it's not the baby that you thought yes. was really mm-hmm. the baby. Um, because Dawn, apparently, according to the mythology of the show, is both wholly human mm-hmm. and wholly supernatural. Yeah. And I'm about to talk about self-harm here. So if that is a trigger for you, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I love you. When Dawn comes back into the party having cut herself, yeah. and of course it's Tara, oh. of course it's Tara course who notices her. Yes. Of course it's Tara who sees first. She's doing what my friends at Dances of Universal Peace call Mary arms. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen the Virgin Mary Yes. And Jesus doing this pose in art. It's like arms open with your elbows at your sides. Mm-hmm. There's a decidedly holy person sort of Jesus-y vibe to the whole backstory of the key. Yes. And therefore to Dawn. She's a gazillion-year-old blob of potent energy mm-hmm. and also 14 years old with all the hormonal fluctuation that that implies. Right. And I appreciate, by the way, that it's Spike who yeah. points that out. Yeah. That she's run away and he's having his like his moment with Buffy, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about his yeah. relationship to calling Buffy on her bullshit in right. this episode. But when he's like, you know what? She might have run away anyway because she's 14. Exactly. Yeah. Which I just love. Mm-hmm. I love that it's Spike who like zooms in on the ultra humanity yeah of what's going on for dawn exactly <laughs> because of course he does right. of course he does of course he does um but in terms of the metaphor mm-hmm. it feels to me a little bit like the writers wrote themselves into a metaphor corner mm-hmm. they wanted to give buffy a sister they wanted to do this mystical key subplot but maybe they hadn't ironed out all the details before they pressed go on the storyline. I'm just not, I'm not totally clear. And that Mm -hmm. is really, I mean, it's really my only kind of misgiving about Mm -hmm. this episode is that it's set up as an adoption metaphor with Dawn going off to find the truth about herself and where she's really from Mm -hmm. and so on. But it falls flat for me at the end in that moment that you just talked about with Buffy and Dawn and bleeding Mm -hmm. because is their blood actually the same? Like, if you were to draw their blood mm-hmm. and test it, would you be able, like, 
do, do they have DNA? And con- I don't know how genetics works in that way. But like, right. would you be able to tell from a blood draw that these people I were think, related? I think we, I don't think we confirm that in this episode, but with the events of the gift, I think we confirm mm. that it is the same blood that they took right. Buffy's right. blood or, or somehow however made they did that from Buffy and Joyce, I guess, and maybe Hank Summers a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating mm-hmm. um, and kind of great, but also super not clear. Um, yeah. Except that Dawn herself comes down on the side of identifying with her humanness, which, of course, is the most important right. thing here. Mm-hmm. You know, she's asking Buffy if she thinks Joyce will raise her allowance. Right. Um, but, of course, most importantly on the, like, what is Dawn mm-hmm. is that she doesn't remember seeing Ben transform into glory right in front of her. Right. And which we're suggests that she's it's definitely she's human because we human know this. Because yeah. Spike can see it. When Spike sees it, he's the one who constantly has to remind everybody because the humans can't, but he can because he's supernatural. Now, I don't know. I don't recall if Buffy witnessed it and forgot or not. But but yeah, so, so Dawn is super... Like, I, I, when I say superhuman, I don't mean she's a superhuman. I mean that she is, like, exactly human. That is... She is... That is yeah, she's she is. hyper real. Yeah. She's and, not just real. Exactly. She's, like, extra real. Right. Um, and the thing is that if if you think about it, you know, the idea of everybody having a soul, right? And especially if, if you believe that that soul continues on after you die, that mm-hmm. that dawn is a weird blob of mystical energy seems to be true of all of us right it's just that yep. dawn got here a different way and has a um and has a history that was was written you know that was created right. at the same time the only connection that any of us has to our our own history our own past is the memory of it and so from this point forward, if the memories are there, then that experience is there and that is as real as anything else that anybody remembers, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I still don't like the pregnancy with Joyce, that mystical pregnancy thing. I, I've never yeah. thought of it before, but ever since you and, and Dr. Kelly Jones, who, who had come in, uh, who had talk to you about it and, and brought in yeah. that insight. Uh, ever since you guys brought that up, I um, it has bothered me quite a bit as a yeah. mother to to know that there was something done to me and in my experience and in my memory that I was not a part of, that I did not actually consent to feels weird. At the same time, if you've got this kid that you love, I think you'd, yeah. you'd be like, I like I wouldn't, if I found out that my youngest daughter was not... <laughs> like that somehow the memories of her and of it, I would be like, fine, I'll keep it because I get yeah. her because I get her with that. So, yeah. I, you know, from the mom perspective, I would I would choose to I would choose to supplant whatever my actual experience was with this, you know, kind of created universe, well, you know. And that's really powerful. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know that. It was either last week or the week before that I callously was like, well, Buffy could just kill Dawn and then, you know, this would all be fine, which which I say, you know, I say as a like Whedon verse kind of a reflection 
Um, also, right. that story uh-huh. would just be rad. But, but <laughs> what I love about what you just said is that, like, the only thing that really makes any of our experiences real, mm-hmm. like, as humans, yeah. is our memory of them. Yeah. Like, it's a little bit, that's a little bit of a, a philosophical thread that I'm not sure I want to pull, but like, right. if you don't remember something, because obviously, yeah. like, and this is a source of trauma for a lot of people, mm-hmm. like, something happened to you, but you don't remember yeah. because yeah. of circumstances, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. a whole, there's a whole other section yep. of analysis to do there. But some, but I remember this. Yeah. And that is a theme. It's a thread throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, as everyone everyone finds out, Buffy and Giles decide to tell them. And then the whole episode, they're like, oh, yeah, I remember when. And then, right. oh, wait. Yeah. And they everyone has to grapple with, I have these memories. They seem yeah. solid. Like they are in the realm of all of my other memories. Yeah. In which case they are. Like, I mean, what what makes our history real? Yeah. You know, is remembering it, you know, the experience mm-hmm. of it. Um, and it, it and like that does get once you start unpacking those philosophical, you start pulling at those philosophical threads, man. <laughs> it's it's it gets weird, you know, when you right. start really thinking about it. But the fact is that at this point, there is a kid that they love and that mm-hmm. has been part of their experience and um you know given the choice it's it's not that different from whatever it is that that we experience as humans uh, we are weird maybe maybe we are weird blobs of mystical energy that are just given this experience in this life and then that's you know yep. and then go back to wherever you came from when the body wears out you know Or, you know, like, I mean, in which case, like, if you believe that, then Dawn is not a million miles away from that. Dawn is just another human. She's just another human. It's just she happens Mm -hmm. to have this. Her particular energy is is a bit different, you know. Um, But it is something that I don't think the show ever really addresses in depth. Like, uh, did did Dawn have consciousness as the key before she was placed inside uh, is Dawn's consciousness the key or is Dawn's physicality the key or is there some energy that that is her soul that is the key? What is that? Like how and, that translates has always been a weird thing. For, I've never figured it out. And how is it that Glory can be in the same room with Dawn and not know? I mean, I know that's the point, right? Yeah. That's why the monks... Right made exactly the Mm -hmm. key into a child but like at what point because of course the fear in that scene Mm -hmm. is oh shit glory's gonna figure it out right but i'm wondering just like how would she figure it out if she had touched dawn like what if she had what if she'd done her like brain sucky goodness would she have sucked the key into herself Uh, yeah and then been like Oh, there it what, is. Like what yeah, what part of Dawn is the key? And what part of Dawn is is just a kid, just summers, you know? I, I, that always throws me off because it feels like Dawn's consciousness is what makes Dawn Dawn, right? You know, mm-hmm. that that's so is it her soul? Is it her 
But that is part like uh, the key was the key conscious. Can Dawn remember what it was like to be the key? Uh, is there once, you know, once we get past the end of this season and the key is no longer an objective for a wild God looking to bring on the apocalypse. Right. How how does being the key affect her? And I just feel like we don't ever really get any answers about that. But it's such an interesting thing to ponder like what is it that really aside from you know the the history being fabricated what is it that really makes dawn different from the rest of us yeah and i mean and this episode obviously you know we'll continue to watch for this as we go along because it's fascinating yes but this episode comes down firmly at least in the dialogue on the side of she's Buffy's little sister. Right. Like, she is a human girl. She's Buffy's little sister. And, like, that's all we need to know because that's what is crucial. Because that's the only thing that matters, right? Yeah. It's what's crucial to all of these relationships. Exactly. Um, Yeah. And Dawn is just delightful in this episode. I just love her so much. I love Dawn here. I, I love everything about her. I have to say, I think Michelle Trachtenberg did an amazing job with this material. Um, this is not an easy thing to play, this existential dread, right? Right. Like, yeah. for a kid to be able to bring that to you know, this, it's just, it's so wonderfully done. Um, I love, I mean, of course, and, and I'm sorry, everybody out there, prepare your eyes to roll. I love Dawn and Spike, right? I love this relationship. I know I've got a Spike problem. I get it. I can't help it. Um, but I love the, um, I love Dawn's moment where she's like, come on, I'm better than you. You know, she's yep. not scared of him. She's so tough. She goes with him to the magic box. She breaks in, <laughs> they read this journal. Um, um, all of it, I just, I love, I love the Dawn and Spike relationship, um, all through like every beat, every beat to, I will set you on fire in your sleep. Like everything <laughs> I love, I love with Dawn and Spike. It's such a wonderful relationship. And, um, and I know that it comes or that it starts from Spike loves Buffy. And so watching out for Buffy's kid sister is is an avenue to Buffy's affections right. or or it protects Buffy because he genuinely cares about her like whatever Spike's motivations are in the end I do believe he genuinely come, comes to love Dawn as Dawn for who Dawn is you know I think that's true um, I think that's I true that. and I think it starts here it does when oh, absolutely she's not cowed by does. him at all absolutely it's so great yes i mean it's so (laughs) fantastic and i love the way that he understands her the whole hormone blob thing right yes you know i mean i love that that he understands who she is he sees her for exactly who she is and does not give a fuck about her origin story like yeah that is not his concern like dawn for him does not change at all in his eyes and he's able to see her clearly for what she is, even when everybody else is kind of struggling trying to figure it out, you know? Um, yeah, it's just, it's such a great relationship. And what a fantastic writing decision to have Spike reading Giles's oh, diary God, I love that. to Dawn yeah. as the moment when she 
finds out. They yeah. find out together because he's the only member of the core cast who doesn't know. Right. At this point. Nobody keeps me in the I... bloody loop, do they? <laughs> Love it. Yes. Oh, my word. And then, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But, and I love him saying, like, all of the snide remarks about the journal. Like, where do you learn to write so small, a fruit fly? (laughs) And then, I don't know. There's, there is something about the way James Marsters reads. Oh, I love it. This journal. You know, and it's. Obviously, like not being able to read Giles's tiny writing, yes. you know, accomplish the taste, <laughs> accomplish the task <laughs> is I wonderful. Love it. I is love wonderful. It. Yeah. But there's something so like, I don't know, almost tender about him reading to her. Yeah. Like a and then they realize story, together. Right? Yeah, it is a bedtime story because he has said to her in the backyard, you know, aren't you supposed to be? tucked into bed where nothing scary can eat you (laughs) which is and then she's like oh please i'm not scared of you and your banged up box of chocolates and you know you know that's the same box of chocolates he was practicing he beat the mannequin over the head with that box of chocolates and then is bringing that to buffy which is adorable and Stupid in just a million different ways. I love it. And I love, too, that Dawn sees him. She sees him so clearly. These two, I love this relationship. Um, I absolutely adore it. Um, So, yeah, this I just it's delightful. I love when they're in the shop together. I love when Anya pulls out, hey, you know, who put the who used the urn of or feel or whatever as an ashtray? Ishtar. Ishtar, the urn of Ishtar as an ashtray. Um, That is honestly one of my favorite moments is that's how they discovered that Spike was there with Dawn. It's so good. Mm -hmm. It's so, so good. I also really appreciate Spike picking the lock. Yes. Instead of breaking down the door. And Dawn is like rolling her eyes like, oh, come on. Like, seriously. (laughs) And he, but I read that as he's being polite. He is being polite. That's very considerate of him. This is Spike being considerate, exactly. picking the lock instead of breaking the door down. Yeah. And then it's such a cheap, like, throwaway type gag. But, hey, troll hammer. <laughs> Funk. <laughs> Didn't go with my stuff anyway. Uh, like, uh, of course. I like, it's just the, it. he's just the spikiest in that scene. Yes. He is his goofball self. Mm-hmm. He is clearly, you know, we know he's doing this mostly as a you know to have an in mm-hmm. with Buffy right but he also like his humanity is there with mm-hmm. her and he's so you know as it dawns on him and he turns as it dawns uh, on him so to I speak I wasn't gonna say anything but yes yeah <laughs> you know and he turns to her huh I guess that's you Niblet. like uh. he's just He's so it's I don't know. There's something really understated and wonderful about Spike in that. And then, of course, Mm -hmm. then, of course, we, you know, go to Buffy coming to (laughs) confront him about this. I love that. I mean, I love I love that. I guess that's you, Niblet moment, because he's not trying to protect her. And there's something in not trying to protect her that actually respects her. And I love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and. That's the thrust of his whole, that that scene 
with Buffy at his mm-hmm. crypt mm-hmm. when he's painting his nails. Oh, I know. He does his own he nails. They're, they're still wet. Of course he does. He's hey. so cute. <laughs> But she comes to him and she is pissed off and like misplaced anger much. Mm -hmm. And he calls her on it and it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. She says, how could you let her find out like that? Right. And he's like, "Uh, excuse me. (laughs) No, exactly. And he's right. You know, he's like, first of all, nobody keeps me in the bloody loops. So how the hell was I supposed to know? Like, I didn't know this was going on. And second of all, you know, this is her. She has a right to know what she is, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I love that. I love that whole thing. I think it's so great. The Buffy and Spike stuff in this episode is kind of understated, but really, really excellent. Yeah. Like, you know, that moment where she's Buffy taking the time in the middle of a fight to emphatically yell out, he is not my boyfriend, is a methinks she doth protest too much moment, you know, for me. Um, So we're already seeing this happen that it's it's not just Spike. Like, Spike's not in this alone. Buffy's got something. I mean, her feelings for him, I think, are are probably, like, much, much more complex and definitely, definitely mixed with a lot of disgust, you know? Um, yep. But she's, there is a connection between her and Spike. And I think part of it is that she can say anything to him. You know, she can yeah. say anything to him. And she moderates herself so much with the men that she loves, you know, to be yeah. able to have somebody you can be completely free with and you don't care or you're not worried about <laughs> what they think. Like, you know, there's something kind of nice about that, you know. Um, I also love and this is something that I want to kind of like throw to you because okay. Spike's empathy, Spike's empathy, I find inherently confusing and yet okay. and yet it feels right. Like, okay. How can Spike have empathy? He's a vampire. He's a demon. Vampires don't have empathy, right? Or maybe they have it, but they don't engage it. They don't care, right? You know, and because he has this love for Buffy, like suddenly that engages his empathy, you know, like, but his empathy here is not really with Buffy. Like Buffy comes at him and he's not like, oh, honey, I'm so sorry I made you mad. He's like, no. And he's defending Dawn. You know, he sees Dawn. She's, you know, yeah, she's a magical key, but she's also a 14 year old hormone bomb. Like he sees Mm -hmm. her for what she is this whole time, you know. So, you know, when he responds to Buffy, when they're out looking for Dawn and Buffy is worried and Buffy is vulnerable with him, the second she's vulnerable, he switches into you will find her, you know, like Mm -hmm. he is supportive. He is strong for her. Um, you know, and, and there's something about that that I just find so wonderful and lovely. But I think this is where Spike gets confusing, right? Because we know he's mm-hmm. still a monster. We know he's still a monster. We know what he is. We know that if he didn't have a chip in his head, he would be mm-hmm. out there just tearing the world apart, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and yet his ability to be these two things at once and, and these two things at once and feel like a harmonized instead of a dissonant character to me is always confusing. And I don't, I haven't really been able to put into words how it works because it does feel like it should be dissonant, right? A little bit. Yeah. Although when you talk about empathy mm-hmm. 
empathy is about feeling. Empathy is I feel your pain. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Spike is all about feeling things. Yes. Like that's kind of been his. Yeah. Go to right, you know, since he crashed into the Welcome right. to Sunnydale. I mean, what does he like, say? He doesn't think. He feels his way through things. He follows. Yeah. He follows his blood. Right. Yeah. 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 He is very like, in, in as much as like this is bizarre, he's very like heart centered yeah. and emotional, and he lets he lets emotion drive him Mm -hmm. so when someone is having the big feelings he gets that because he he is a creature of feelings he is he's a feeling thing he got them deep Um, feels well and it's a great that's a great angle for a demon or a monster or a character who we are going to really allow to be complex and evil because if you do, you know, moving through, if you move through the world uh-huh. based on your feelings and how you feel about something, that can be the gasoline for some really, like, scary behavior. Well, right? yeah, because being if able to understand not just how you feel, not just feel what you feel, but feel what other people feel. Like, that is how he was able to manipulate the whole Yoko Factor thing, because he understood mm-hmm where the emotions were and where the soft mm-hmm. spots were. Um, so that actually opens up an avenue to evil for him. And yet, like the the ability to feel what other people are feeling, the ability to empathize, that is a a quality associated with goodness. Yeah, the tricky piece with Spike is that there is that... This the the empathy piece for me isn't as problematic as the support piece. Yeah, because it comes he he does do that. You will find her bit, mm-hmm. but it's after Buffy has admitted to him like you yeah. were right. Yeah, I should have told her. Yeah. You know, she's basically she's low key apologizing to him. Well, not just that, but she, she's vulnerable with him, and vulnerability to be vulnerable with somebody implies trust and closeness Mm -hmm. you know um for buffy to have that conversation with spike i mean the thing is like you know in a relationship you're looking at like the kiss and the sex and that's significant this it's fucking significant that's a big deal i mean can you imagine going to somebody who is ostensibly your enemy right somebody you hate and yeah. being that vulnerable and that open and, you know, and that hurt with them. Um, like, that's a kind of makes you think deal. she doesn't actually hate him. No, does uh, <laughs> no. her feelings for Spike, I think, are she has clear like uh, and I don't want to call it love or affection because those are a little bit warm and, and almost Almost like she skipped those with him, right? They are just close. He just understands her. She's comfortable with him. You know, they understand each other, I think, in a way that most other people don't. And I mean, let's talk, too, about Buffy. We're talking about Spike and the way that he feels, right? 
you know, Buffy is a, is a feeler too. She goes on her instinct, right? She doesn't want to study all the stuff like Kendra. Remember Kendra with her study yep. of the Watcher's Guide and Buffy's like, I just feel my way through it, right? Buffy and Spike are not a million miles apart. I mean, they're almost doppelganger. You know, he's kind of a doppelganger antagonist in a, in a way, although he's not really an antagonist now that he's part of the team. But, um, but they have a lot in common and I think they understand they're also so isolated you know like Buffy is the slayer and she is the one right so she is always isolated and you know he's a vampire with a chip in his head right he Mm -hmm. can't be a vampire can't be a man you know can't be the monster can't be the man you're stuck in this weird space you know and the way that they can identify with each other and understand each other I think is um, is really interesting. And I think it's part of the reason why I love, I love their relationship. I, I just think it's so deep. It goes so deep and it goes beyond, you know, having a crush or like, I love you, or even I want to have sex <laughs> with you. Like their relationship here, as they, as they go to having sex, you know, in season six, like that's all fun and everything, but it's this stuff. Like this is the real relationship. This is the 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 part of it that that actually has weight and heft, you know. Um, and I think that mm-hmm. this is at the heart of of what their relationship is. Kissing and having sex is not as significant, I think, as this. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Yeah. So it's 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 pretty good. Um. All right. So Ben is glory, right? <gasps> Finally! I oh my know, god! Right, <laughs> and I love that transition. I love the way that reveal happens, where he's like, "You've got to go, you've got to go." Glory's coming, and then Glory's there, and she has yep. no idea what Ben was talking about. We also now finally understand this connection, the reason why Glory can't hurt Ben. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And again, the writing is so just precise. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. You know, you, she, you don't remember you were talking to him, not me. Mm-hmm. Like, great, great. Two lines. We got everything we need to know. So not only not only is Ben glory and glory is Ben, but they don't communicate like they don't share Ooh. knowledge. So Ben knows that Dawn mm-hmm. is the key, but Glory doesn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is just pretty cool. Really interesting. It's it's pretty cool. And it's so fucking dangerous. Right. Oh my God. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it also is, I mean, it's so interesting because physically they're not the same person, but they are physically the same person, but clearly their brains are different and memories are stored differently. And where does Ben go when Glory takes over? Like here's I want to know this. And ben has it's... no control over it. Does Glory? Yeah. Does Glory have control over it? Does she just pop in whenever she wants? Because if she could, then why wouldn't she just all the time? And you know, and I mean that's why there's this glamour, so that if anybody witnesses it happening, they can't remember it happening, you know. So I mean that makes mm-hmm. sense. But damn. It is, Damn. it is such, and you know, we have that, that moment, like in the beginning when Giles is talking about glory and these other two gods that she was kind of palling around with and that somebody, you know, somebody found a way into the universe and they were like, well, what's the way? And with glory, right. apparently it was diving into the body of a young baby, you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. guessing, I'm guessing, you know, ah, it it's... is. 
And that bodily stuff, too. Like, I figured this must be just your cat. Yes, the idea of Ben and Glory sharing a body, but not really, is completely fascinating to me. Um, Because... What? Well, what? Especially right. What like, if she especially pops in because and he's in the middle of having sex? Yeah, you know, <laughs> like, like what? Well, and what would that do to you, as Ben? You know, gr- presumably, like at any moment, and like, you can just she don't just... remember. You know, like, and then you just, you know, you just wake up somewhere unexpected. Like, and then, and then where is Ben when Glory's not there? And where is Glory? Like, where is their consciousness? Are they just gone? Yeah. Who? What? Who? I mean, right? I don't know. Like, I, I think it's, first of all, I think it's so interesting. I love that reveal. I, you know, I think it's, it's a really great mechanic, you know? Um, it's so, it's such an interesting and like crunchy question, especially in a show that does spend so much time talking about identity, right? Yeah. And where is your identity? Is it in your physical body? Then the physical body, even when it's glory is still Ben, right? But I don't think that's it. It's the consciousness. No. Like, and the consciousness is so ethereal. Like, how do you pin that shit down? You know? And then where yeah. is that consciousness during the time when, when glory's running the show, I, the whole thing, I think is just fascinating. And I also love the fact that Ben's got to be waking up in a dress nine times out of 10, right? Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I, love, I love Glory with her, oh, cotton, like, I moment. No, and she puts the and silk the, on, yeah. And the silk, the silk dress in Ben's locker, yeah. like, do they make, clearly they, they make concessions for each oh, other they, somehow. I guess they must. Maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But I love it. I love how, holy shit, it is for, for this show. Mm-hmm. Like, we've never done this yeah. before. Mm-hmm. And it's so great and yeah. so wonderful. And that... I I love the whole scene mm-hmm. of Glory and Dawn talking. Yeah. In the room before, you know, before there's fighting and before, mm-hmm. you know, we really like, we really get into it with this whole, you know, we're going to mm-hmm. make, we're, we're going to, we're going to glitter clap Glory into the middle of the air. Like, it's so good. <laughs> so good. I, I love the whole end of I this know. episode. But starting with that scene mm-hmm. between... Dawn and Glory, where Glory's got a little bit of like respect is too strong a word, mm-hmm. but appreciation right. for Dawn yeah. and the questions that she's asking, and then turns so quickly on her mm-hmm. when she realizes you don't know anything. Yeah. It's menacing mm-hmm. and creepy and so. I don't know. It's so delightful. And there's, of course, so much suspense mm-hmm. because we know yeah. and Dawn knows yeah. that she's the key. Yeah. And is Glory going to figure it out? But apparently that apparently the monks knew what they were doing mm-hmm. because Glory doesn't figure it out. But she does. There is something about Glory and the way she manipulates mm-hmm. people. But in a way that is specific to them. Yeah. She doesn't have a go-to way of menacing. She is menacing 
contextually. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking about her kind of, kind of, sort of, evilly seducing <laughs> the knight. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Like it's it's played like a seduction, or at least she plays it like a seduction. Uh, she plays it like a seduction mm-hmm. for herself. Right. And that's part of what makes her evil, right? Is she enjoys right. this process of playing with manipulating and torturing. Yeah. You know, um, she's like my cat and the chipmunks. <laughs> she likes to play with them until they pee on my carpet and die under the couch. <laughs> I'll just you'll just need one death because I'm gonna make it nice and exactly slow and painful for you. Um, but goddamn, yeah. goddamn, glory, glory, menacing dawn is probably oh, it's good, the greatest, and dawn pretty much holding her own. Oh no, what I love, what I love is that Dawn in that moment has a fucking objective. She is interrogating Glory and this is why I love this is the best on like Dawn, I know we have times where Dawn gets irritating and whatever. <laughs> Let me just say she <laughs> is no Connor, right? That's all I'm going to say about that. But um She's amazing. Like, I love, she is so freaking badass and I adore her. And I think that where she's so desperate to find out about herself that she starts asking these questions, like, if I know more about it, maybe I can help you find it. And and Michelle Trachtenberg gets across the horror and the terror that she's feeling in that moment. And yet overcoming that in order to interrogate a fucking god, right? Like, right? I find that so badass and so endearing. And this is one of the moments where I truly, truly adore Dawn. Um, she's, she's fantastic. She's so powerful. Like she's throughout tough. this episode, she's tough, man. This she's, kid, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like her. She's sassy. sassy. (laughs) I love it. It's wonderful. I also, from a visual storytelling point, I just really enjoy the fact that Gloria and Dawn have this conversation slash interrogation surrounded by x-rays. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not just the physical body stuff, but like the insides, like your body insides. Because there's this, there is this little bit of tension Mm -hmm. about... Especially among the Scoobies. I mean, certainly with Dawn herself, mm-hmm. but also among the Scoobies about, you know, like, is she real? What is she? Mm-hmm. You know, Anya says, you make a very pretty little girl, <laughs> which I just oh, love. Um, but there is that little bit of tension mm-hmm. about, like, Dawn's human physicality. And, okay, there's a moment that I just hate. Yeah. And I wonder if you noticed this, uh-huh. but... When Xander tickles her, yeah, is he feeling that she's human? Is that what he's doing? Oh, is he overcompensating for being nervous about the fact that she might not be real? Oh God, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't. I hadn't really. I mean, I didn't care for it because, well, first of all, I hate tickling. I find tickling, yes, tickling to be obnoxious sucks. as hell. Don't do it. Um, no, no. Unless somebody asks you to, no. Um, and there's also a, a something like an inherently kind of predatory feel 
in in tickling, especially when an older man tickles like a younger woman, you know, mm-hmm. younger girl. Um, even though, like, I I will say, like, I do believe there are, like, you know, my kids' dad would tickle them when they were kids, and it was all very innocent, and nobody intended anything bad about it. Like, you know, it's it's fine, but there is something about that, which you know, in this particular relationship, um, it's it's a little weird. It's a little creepy. It's like, don't touch her. You know, don't don't touch this kid's body, especially because, you know, a, a, a girl who's at that age, you know, who's transitioning into, you know, like womanhood or whatever. That's such a terrible fucking phrase. But you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> like there's a certain like you just you don't you don't touch like there's a certain point where you stop, you know, touching kids without you know what I'm saying? Like there's just like there's I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I you mean, always hug your kids. Like, I always hugged my kids and I was like, major, like, there's that, but there's just something, like, there's a certain point where the ways in which you touch your kids are just different because they're growing up and because they're not small children anymore, you know? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. And I don't like tickling but, anyway. Yeah, I don't like tickling. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I like, I do like the idea of sort of, I don't know, working with the physicality of this reveal that Dawn is the key. But, you know, but I think that I think that the X-ray and I think all of the X-ray imagery behind Glory and Dawn do that in a really artful way, whereas Xander tickling her, maybe not so much. Yeah. Um, But I just that felt very that combined with Xander's like to Giles, you know, she has a crush on me, you know, because oh, she's God. like a powerful uh, yeah, lady. I and hate that. Guy- I, was I like, hate why? that with my This whole... is season like one and two. Xander, what are you doing? Uh, right. What? Like, you know, and the thing what? is, is that we've had good Xander for a while. And just when you get comfortable with good Xander, you get this. Let me <laughs> let me look at this young girl's traumatic experience and make it about my ego. Uh, I mean, yeah, it ain't great. It's, it's not. It's not great, Xander. In this episode, his hair is looking especially floppy in this yes! episode too. I just yes! say no. He does. Just he has. Saying. He has floppy haired douchebag. Oh, the floppy haired douchebag on him. Yeah, it's not. It's not great. Definitely. Um, but you know what? I love though so so much. Mm. Is Tara and Willow when Tara's when they're talking about the buff, the uh, birthday cake candles that don't go out when you blow them out, mm-hmm. and then Willow says those used to scare me, and then Tara says me too, and I was like, oh my god, get you a person who gets it the way that Tara does. <laughs> I, oh my god, I enjoy I enjoy the two of them so much. It. I love that they get to do another spell together. I know. Oh, and a I bad always... ass spell. Oh my god! Right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, and it just looks great. I know that yeah. from like a physical effect point of view, it's literally just they throw some sparkly shit in the air. <laughs> um, I love that Glory is covered in glitter. She is never going to get that out of her hair. It's just going to be there for the rest of the time. Nope. It's never going anywhere. Glitter never goes anywhere. <laughs> but the like. I love that. I love how badass yeah. they are, though. Like just doing a spell yeah. in the middle of this fight I with this no right terrifying being, and like it's so great. It's 
it's great. It is. It's it is so really, great. really good. Yeah, I know. And we're continuing it. to see like Willow being affected mm-hmm. really powerfully by the magic that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Which you know, little bit of foreshadowing, yeah. a lot of bit of foreshadowing that this is this is becoming, mm-hmm. this is becoming a big deal. Yeah, um, it was a big deal. It was always a big deal, and now it's like a a big enough deal mm-hmm. that she's collapsing, and Giles is like, "Whoa, that was impressive." Yeah, um, you know, and like Giles would know, mm-hmm. Giles would know about the collapsing properties. Of yes, dark magic. Yes. You know, whatever. Yes, um. And I love, of course, that they send Glory to the middle of the sky. Oh, I know. And then you just see her drop. It's just, it's so great. It's so great. (laughs) Her little sparkly form, just, you know, long shot, just falling straight down. I love all of it. Although the moment when Tara says she's a brain sucker and she gets all weirded out. And then I'm like, oh, "Oh my God, sad face emoji. Um, Yeah. Speaking of foreshadowing. I know. And just that subtle little moment, which I absolutely love. It's so great. But Jesus, I love Willow and Tara so much. So much. And they're really like. You know, mm-hmm. I know, I know, we're not at what are you wearing, but like they just look great. Oh, we can skip right like, ahead to what are you wearing because that's next I on mean, the list. Let's go ahead and talk about it. <laughs> they just look so good. Uh-huh. Like Willow's hair, especially, is like yeah. really good. Yeah, she's growing out that like super short mm-hmm. first year of college haircut, yeah. and ha- like the hair department is taking it seriously, yeah. and it looks fantastic. That's pretty nice. Um, I like that as they get more like as Willow and Tara get more grown mm-hmm. up and in love, they start to look more yeah. grown up and pretty mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm projecting because I just love Willow and Tara so much. But there's this that like they always just look so I pretty know. together. They are so pretty together. <laughs> like, they really are. And it's delightful. Yes. I it's love delightful. I always but we love actually their clothes. Have... I love their styles. I love yeah, I think they're just so wonderful yeah. together. Yeah. But we actually do have like if we're talking about like the the you know, narrative and metaphorical significance of clothing, which yeah. is what we try to do here and what are you wearing and not just like Noelle and not just go nuts over pretty fawning yeah. all over the pretty girls which yes. you know hey ain't nothing fine. wrong with that it's fine it's a thing it's a look yeah. um i mean i talked about it a little bit already but glory going oh god she's she wakes up in scrubs mm-hmm. um you know like <laughs> I love this idea of like, oh, the peasantry, <laughs> like what the, the humans wear. Right. But I love, I mean, I love glory and clothes mm-hmm. almost as much as I love Spike and food. Mm-hmm. What? But, and and not just, you know, because it's delightful, mm-hmm. but also narratively. Yeah. What does it say? What does it mean mm-hmm. to have a God? Mm-hmm care about fashion yeah that's a really interesting yeah choice no it is it is but she is like you know her opening um monologue that she did in in the very early days was all about being stuck in this meat sack you know like and so there is something about there is a very strong sense of physicality with glory that even though this isn't her natural physical form she is very much of the form 
You know, she mm-hmm. feels everything. And when she fights, it's not like she uses magical powers. She's just super strong and beats the hell out of Buffy. You know? Um, yeah. So it's 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 interesting. Um, her her intense physicality. And I always find that really like, you know, what's so funny, what I love about working with you is that you do have this very strong sense of the physicality in these characters, which is something that I never really think about. I'm always about their emotions, what they're thinking, what they're saying, but not like what their physical experience is. And so it's such an interesting, like additional element to watching Buffy that I really appreciate that you kind of opened my eyes to is that that physicality and how does that physicality, especially given that her physicality is being shared shared like how does that express itself within glory and of course the choice of the the fabric right the little joy yeah right mm-hmm. yeah well and you know the 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 fabric quality like noticing because she's noticing being in a meat suit mm-hmm. she's also noticing things like fabric quality yeah you know, it makes your skin sing yeah. like she's you know, and there is that, like, there's that powerful, slinky sexiness about mm-hmm. her as well, which is very right. much about, you know, the fact that she is played by a conventionally attractive for the culture, yes. mm-hmm. young blonde woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and playing that kind of physical, there's, there is something, okay, how do I want to, how do I want to express this in as as non-problematic way as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to step in it. Here okay. we go. I'm going to step in it. There is something in our in our culture and in our media mm-hmm. about women's bodies and women being embodied, like what yeah. it means for a woman to feel into her body and acknowledge her body, mm-hmm. which is something that Glory has to do because this is not her preferred state of being mm-hmm. but she finds enjoyment in it mm-hmm. as much as she finds discomfort in it and what's fascinating to me about that is because we are so weird mm-hmm. culturally about women and bodies yes. and women's bodies that kind of embodied i call it sexiness because she looks very seductive Mm -hmm. when she's owning it um and maybe that's my cultural programming showing Mm -hmm. but there that sexiness gets played as sinister yes which is not unique to glory no we've seen this character right we've seen the embodied sexy woman and like Mm -hmm. we're supposed to use that we're supposed to use that like physicality as a indicator that oh she's bad news. right mm-hmm. yeah so I, it's a it's a tricky thing well it's a yeah. very very I tricky mean, it's, thing it's a patriarchal you know kind of catch-22 right is that they want women to be beautiful so that they can like consume the women but if the women right. use the power that comes with that beauty then they are evil right Mm-hmm. And so that is a, I mean, that's a, a pretty much no matter what, if you're a woman in this society, you're in a dark place. It's a dark, <laughs> it's a dark ride all the way through, no matter where I you mean, end up, you know. The only way to win is not to play. Yeah. I mean, really, yeah. the only way, like, that's it. Um, 
And like, and as much as I love Glory stopping the fight for a split second mm-hmm. to say, hey, those are really nice <laughs> shoes as Buffy goes to kick her. Like, isn't it interesting yeah. that having this super powerful God villain character mm-hmm. also, like, she is also noted like interested in fashion enough to notice yeah. Buffy's shoes yeah. and what I mean there's a whole someone has probably written some sort of a master's thesis on this so I'm I can sure. probably just stop with like the implication of this this mm-hmm. push pull yep. of glory is all powerful and also like very material and all of her Um, victims up until this point have been men i noticed that and i didn't know entirely what to do with that other than it's is that a commentary on the patriarchy with glory is that you know well i mean her her evil like the way her evil is played off Mm -hmm. even even with respect to her minions yeah. and as such yeah. is this very seductress kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, cis heteropatriarchy, right. it's, it would be uncomfortable if the evil sexy girl was being evil and sexy with girls. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I yeah. think, okay, Dawn has this moment where she says to Buffy, you know, you're just mad because you have to fight somebody who's prettier right. than you. <laughs> Which I don't think is entirely true, but I also don't think is entirely false. Mm-hmm. Being a girly girl with supernatural badass powers right. and strength is kind of Buffy's thing. Right. Like, that's kind of her whole thing. And here's and, this girl yeah. who's kind of like her in a lot of ways and very quippy like her i mean you know i mean glory can be you could look at glory as buffy's shadow self you know although i mean i faith really was that you know um but there is something in glory that does have a bit of the doppelganger antagonist inside of it um it's a reflective, not doppelganger, maybe, but a reflective antagonist. You know, there's there's a, a real foil thing going on there, you know, yeah. um, which I think is part of what makes Glory so fun. Yeah. Oh, she's wonderful. And the way she speaks. Mm-hmm. I know I've mentioned this before, but Glory and her relationship to language is oh, also yeah. fascinating. Mm-hmm. I love um, that tiny it, snapdragon. <laughs> tiny snapdragon. I love... Um, I love when she says to Dawn, let's go somewhere off the beaten. Mm-hmm. She doesn't say she doesn't say off the beaten path. Yeah. She says off the beaten, which mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, she's just like twisted this guy's head almost clean off. Yeah. So it's there's a there's a sinister note uh-huh. there. But it reminds me a little bit of faith. Yeah. In that slang is sort of kind of, but also not really informed by the language well that their, their power her power almost seems to seep into like she can do whatever she wants with the language you know because she's that powerful like and her presence mm. is that powerful uh that she can actually make i mean 
she makes the language thing for her. I, you know, it's just, I just love her. Well, all right. Here's another connection. Here's another connection to Faith. So Faith gets played off as being kind of unstable, right? Mm -hmm. She's this live wire who could do anything at any moment. And she's got that kind of slip, slidey, slang, quippy Mm -hmm. dialogue. Well, Glory's whole weakness is that mentally she's a little slip, slidey and, you know, not all there Mm -hmm. all the time. And also has that quippy, fluid language. Mm -hmm. And I wonder about I wonder about the speech patterns and the dialogue choices mm-hmm. for these characters these two characters specifically yeah. um combined with their overt sexuality mm-hmm. and how that plays into the idea of them being evil yeah. or bad or you know mm-hmm. <laughs> what makes a bad girl like how right. do we how do we know how do we know that she's a bad girl well one of the ways i mean one of the ways <laughs> is she dresses like a skank right but mm-hmm. one of the ways might be from a from a media standpoint she plays a she plays around with the language mm-hmm. because language is part of how we express what our thoughts are right. and what our ideas mm-hmm. are. So if your language is a little weird, your thoughts are a little weird. If your yeah. language is unconventional, your thoughts are going to be unconventional, yeah. which is how, I mean, that's how we show mm-hmm. the quote unquote crazy people. Yeah. They say shit that doesn't go together mm-hmm. or doesn't seem to go together. Right. Um so I don't know. Like it's the it's the many it's the gradation mm-hmm. of deviance. How far your language deviates from what is expected, mm-hmm. maybe as an indication of how far you yourself, like morally, <laughs> deviate. From, I don't oh, know. Like just as a just as a a visual storytelling or visual and auditory storytelling mm-hmm. component to all of this and i don't know i'm also sitting here trying to explain to myself why i find glory so compelling and so fascinating i don't know i think that's an all-day conversation that's an (laughs) all-day very complicated conversation which of course we will continue to have over the coming weeks um but can we transition into the girl power moment of the week oh not with a girl pal big oh absolutely we can absolutely we can buffy takes a fucking crowbar in the chest excuse me (laughs) what the actual hell what the actual hell it's really brutal it's really fucking brutal that's gotta hurt that's gotta hurt i mean yeah Yeah. damn um i talked already about willow and tara doing spells and just you know not and doing spells together all the time is like a thing that they do but then really like Holding that calm, steady energy, yeah, amidst a in fight, the middle of flying crowbars, yeah, flying Badass. crowbars, and exactly and, flying yeah. vampires. Damn, damn. <laughs> um, and I think there's also a real girl power moment in Dawn sneaking out to find her own answers. Oh yeah, I think Dawn interrogating Glory 
honestly. Oh, definitely. Is like one of my big girl power moments in this in this episode. I think it's, there's a lot. There's it's a lot a of really, good girl power going on. It's a really powerful episode in a lot of ways. All right. So, Noelle, what's your favorite part? I think it's like as hard as it is to watch. I think mm-hmm. it's Dawn with the kitchen knife. Mm-hmm. Um, not be- not because I love it. Not because yeah. I love watching it, um, mm-hmm. but it's so huge and it's so yeah. brutal. And the emotional resonance of that moment and how that becomes the turning point for Buffy and mm-hmm. her her new relationship to what her sister is. Just every, everything. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a lot. It's a lot. And I... I appreciate it. It's a very intense moment. And I can absolutely see that being something that would speak to you. Um, For me, I have to say it is Spike reading (laughs) Giles's journal so awkwardly. Like James Marsters does such a lovely job of that, of, of bringing that awkward reading into, you know, into that moment. And the, the, the sense of the bedtime story, the sense of the, the dark fairy tale mm-hmm. um, with Dawn listening and being a kid and then, and then not being a kid anymore. Like this is a very transformative moment for Dawn. She's never going to be a kid again. Yeah. You know, like this is a big transitional moment um, for her and Spike being there to experience that with her. And then to say, guess that's you, Niblet. Yeah. Um, to, to give her a kind of an affectionate nickname in that moment. I just love all of it. It's great. The, it like really the emotions, good. the emotions of this episode are just they unbelievably are. good. <laughs> All right. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on social media. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich on Twitter and Noelle is at Noelle Allowed on Instagram. And the hashtag is still pretty. This episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to our June producers. And this week's special message for our power producers. I wasn't lurking. I was standing about. It's a whole different vibe. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media, visit patreon.com slash chipperish. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or be better than Spike. <laughs> we will be back next time with Crush, the 14th episode of season five. Until then, conversation's over, hell bitch. Hell bitch.